I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is an apostrophe podcast production. We regret to inform you, the Rejection Podcast. Hockey was for boys, and its coaches and organizers kept coming up with fresh excuses to bar me from playing. Haley Wickenheiser. Haley Wickenheiser says her hometown of Shaunavon, Saskatchewan, had the three key features of most Canadian prairie towns. A church, a Chinese restaurant, and a drafty old hockey rink that sold crinkle-cut fries. It was the early 80s. Wickenheiser spent her days helping her grandfather bale hay on the farm, and her nights watching her father play in an old-timers hockey league. She says her dad was a lot of things, but an elite-caliber hockey player was not one of them. Yet still, in a 1,600-person town where the rink was always cold and the fries lukewarm, she watched her father's games like it was the NHL. And one evening after one such game, Wickenheiser and her dad headed home from the arena. He tucked his daughter into a sled and pulled her along the snow-packed sidewalk when he heard a little voice from behind him say, Dad, I'd like to play hockey too. The next morning, Wickenheiser woke up to the sound of hammering, 
She looked out the window, and there was her father, building her her very own hockey rink in the backyard, complete with a frozen path to the house, so she could lace her skates in the warmth and glide straight out the back door. That backyard rink became Wickenheiser's favorite place in the world, her sanctuary, her home. In fact, her parents had trouble getting her to come back inside her actual home. As Wickenheiser tells the story in her book, Over the Boards, Lessons from the Ice, one night her parents were fast asleep when her father was awoken abruptly by loud banging around 1 a.m. Concerned, he made his way to the back door, and there he caught the culprit, red-handed. It was six-year-old Wickenheiser. She had snuck out of bed, tiptoed to the back door, slid on her gear, and begun tearing around the rink, practicing her slap shots. Alone, at one in the morning, in minus 20-degree weather, in the dark. She said one stern hauler from her father sent her skating straight back to bed. But the next night, when everyone went to sleep, she was back out on the rink again. She loved the way the stars lit up the ice. It was her church. Maybe she'd just save the slap shots for daytime. 1 a.m. would be reserved for quiet moves only. She needed to work on her stick handling anyway if she was going to be the next Wayne Gretzky or Marc Messier. Wickenheiser says, aside from ripping around the backyard rink, Her favorite childhood memories were spent draped across a brown corduroy easy chair next to her dad, watching Hockey Night in Canada. The Edmonton Oilers were the closest team to Shonovan, Saskatchewan, and they won the Stanley Cup in 84, 85, 87, 88, and 1990. Wickenheiser watched every goal from that corduroy chair. She analyzed each play as though it was game tape before heading to the backyard to mimic Messier's moves. Being a backyard rink, it was all corners, and those corners forced her to get creative. Soon she could maintain peak speed around even the tightest of angles, and she developed razor-like accuracy when shooting because she learned quickly that if she took a shot on net and missed, she'd have to spend the next 10 minutes locating the three-inch puck in five feet of snow. In 1988, Calgary hosted the Winter Olympics. Calgary was a four-hour drive from Shonovan, so the family loaded up the van and made the trip to watch a few competitions. And 10-year-old Wickenheiser was enamored with the athletes. There was no women's Olympic ice hockey in 1988. Only men's for 68 years and counting. But Wickenheiser told herself one day she'd play at the Olympic Games. She didn't know how or when or in what sport. But she was going to. In 1989, Wickenheiser turned the ripe old age of 11 making her eligible to join her first peewee hockey team. Except, Shonovan didn't have a girls' hockey team, so she declared, I'm going to play with the boys. With that, her parents signed her up to play on the town's boys' peewee team. She packed her skates and her gear, and the Wickenheisers made their way to the local rink for her first-ever practice. But as she warmed up on the ice, the air in the arena felt 
particularly cold. It quickly became apparent all eyes were on her. There were glances, whispers. Then Wickenheiser remembers one of the fathers pressed up against the glass started heckling her. He was pointing and yelling, Look, she can't even skate. Until someone said, That's not her. She's over there. And pointed to the other end of the rink, where Wickenheiser was tearing up the ice. She skated circles around the boys, but the heckling only got worse. One day, Wickenheiser was getting ready for a game in the change room when the mom of an opposing player burst through the door and began berating her in front of the whole team. She told Wickenheiser she didn't belong there, that she should stay away from her son on the ice. Another parent told her she was taking a spot away from the boys, stealing the spotlight from the boys, hogging the boys' ice time. One asked her why she didn't just play ringette, and yet another told her to stay in the kitchen. Remember, this was 1990. She was called a freak, but the gossip behind her back was even more painful. So Wickenheiser cut her hair short. If she could look like a boy, then she would fit in. If she couldn't be singled out as the girl, then she wouldn't be harassed. She started getting to the rink early, to change alone, then hide in the bathroom until the other players arrived. When she couldn't do that, she started getting dressed in the safety of her home or her parents' van. She said the feedback was that she was a good hockey player, but that she was a girl, and girls didn't belong on the ice. After games, Wickenheiser would head straight for her backyard rink. It was safe there. There were no glares, no whispers. She could breathe. So she spent hours after school, after practice, perfecting her wrist shot, her slap shot, her stick handling, deking imaginary defensemen until the wee hours of the morning. She realized she carried the weight of an entire gender on her tiny shoulders. If she played badly, they'd say it's because women can't play hockey. If she just worked harder, played harder, if she was the best, maybe no one would criticize her. But she was wrong. The better Wickenheiser got, the more resentful the other players became. They didn't like the attention she drew, the skills she possessed, the minutes she played, the points she scored. She became a target. Wickenheiser says players started taking unnecessary runs at her, goaded by coaches hell-bent on putting her in her place. After games, she'd hobble back to her parents' van, battered and bruised. Wickenheiser's parents watched their daughter shrink. She became completely isolated from the team, from the sport, from herself. The abuse was tearing her up inside, literally. In elementary school, Wickenheiser developed an ulcer. The stress and anxiety was all-consuming. The following year, her mom registered her for a different team, an hour from Shonovan in Swift Current. Then the phone rang. Swift Current didn't accept girls. Her mom said, oh, 
and why not? They said, well, because it was a boys' hockey school. Her mom then asked where exactly it stated that it was a boys-only hockey school in their advertisements. She said to her recollection, it simply said hockey school, and the denial of a female player sounded like a human rights issue. And she hung up the phone. Two days later, they got a second phone call. Her daughter was, begrudgingly, accepted. One summer, Wickenheiser attended an elite summer camp in Regina, Saskatchewan. It was run by a scout for the Oilers, so every aspiring young hockey player in the province signed up. There was only one problem. The players were put up at a nearby university dorm, but being a girl, the only girl, Wickenheiser wasn't allowed to stay with the boys. The camp organizers didn't know what to do with her, so they stuck her in a janitor's closet down the hall. That summer, Wickenheiser didn't get a bed. She brought a sleeping bag and a pillow from home, and each night after a hard day's skate, she'd crawl into the closet and lay her head between brooms and buckets. Above her, dusty old coats hung from a closet rod. Wickenheiser felt othered and humiliated, but she refused to give in. She said at the end of the day, she was willing to do whatever it took to become the best player in the league. In 1990, the inaugural Women's World Hockey Championship was held in Ottawa. And for the first time, Wickenheiser watched women skate onto the ice. Women. And from her corduroy easy chair, she thought, wow, other girls play hockey? She thought she was the only one in the world. The following year, Wickenheiser realized just how wrong she was in that thinking. In 1991, the Canada Winter Games were held in Charlottetown, PEI. It was the first year ever that women's hockey was accepted into the Games since its inaugural program 24 years earlier. They would put together a girls' youth team Alberta. So the Wickenheisers picked up and moved the family to Calgary so their daughter could try out for the team. And she made the cut. Wickenheiser would be the youngest and shortest player on the team, at 12 years old, standing five foot nothing. But it didn't matter. Her razor-sharp puck control led to three goals in the competition, including the championship-winning goal. Team Alberta took home the gold that year, and 12-year-old Haley Wickenheiser was named tournament MVP. During her time in Calgary, Wickenheiser graduated from peewee to bantam to midget level for players 15 to 17. She was placed on a new team, still all boys, but she was playing well. They were 15 solid games into the season, followed by great success at a tournament in Medicine Hat, Alberta. Wickenheiser says that tournament was one of her finest performances on the ice. She felt part of the team, for the first time able to be herself and let her talents sing. 
as the bus pulled up to their home arena. Her coach asked her to meet him in his office. She guessed he was going to tell her what a great job she did this weekend, or maybe move her on to the power play. He sat her down, looked her in the eye, and said, You're a great hockey player, but I'm going to have to let you go. I can't handle having a girl on the team. Wickenheiser was shocked. She'd just played the tournament of her life. She looked around the office at the other coaches. None of the adults in the room stepped in and said, Wait, cutting a talented player based solely on her gender seems wrong. No one said a word. Instead, she grabbed her things and walked out of her coach's office, past the locker room, out the arena door to the parking lot, where her mother was waiting to pick her up. Wickenheiser climbed into the front seat and told her mom she was cut. Her mother looked at her teary-eyed daughter and for the first time asked her if all this was worth it. She'd stood by as her bright, talented teenager developed an ulcer, slept in broom closets, shed countless tears, iced countless bruises, developed anxiety. It was getting harder and harder to watch. Now she was cut from the team. So her mother said, Are you sure you want to keep going? Maybe this was a good time to try something else. That cut would leave a scar, but it also ignited a fire. Clearly, she wasn't cut because of her abilities. She was helping them win games. It was sexism under the guise of tradition. Wickenheiser was sad. But now she was angry, so she made a plan. And we'll be right back. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wickenheiser was now without a hockey team. So, in 1991, she decided to attend tryouts for the women's national team. Team Canada. The very team whose inaugural game she'd studied in her parents' basement only three years prior. The team that first opened her eyes to the fact other women played hockey. Now, that team was looking for fresh talent. Wickenheiser made the cut. She said she showed up to her first national team camp at age 15 with a bad haircut and bright red cheeks. Once again, she was the youngest on the team, by far. To illustrate just how young, her roommate taught grade 10 math. Wickenheiser was taking grade 10 math. She was given a nickname, High Chair Haley. But these teammates weren't being cruel. It was all in good fun. Wickenheiser looked up to these women. They were accomplished on and off the ice. Some were MBAs, educators, mothers. Wickenheiser didn't even have her driver's license yet. You'd think she'd be intimidated, but she wasn't. The truth was she'd never been happier. She was surrounded by women hockey players. Women hockey players who, make no mistake, could and would knock the daylights out of her at practice, but who understood the stakes. Everyone on the roster came from tiny towns scattered across their vast country. They'd all sacrificed to be there. She'd found her people. Wickenheiser arrived at her first Team Canada World Championship game in Lake Placid, still reeling from her midget AAA rejection. So she used that rage as fuel. High Chair Haley scored her very first Team Canada point at the World Championships, an assist, and the team came first place. Wickenheiser said in that moment she knew it was only the beginning. She had her first taste of gold, and she wanted more. The following year, it was announced that finally, after 78 years as a men's-only sport— the International Olympic Committee voted to approve the addition of women's hockey to the Olympic Games. And from the moment that news broke, Wickenheiser says she knew exactly what she needed to do. She needed to win an Olympic gold medal. Bringing home the gold would prove to the country, nay, the world, that women's hockey was just as deserving of time, attention, and respect as the men's. The 1998 Olympics were set to be held in Nagano, Japan. She had four years 
to prepare. In 1997, Wickenheiser played her second world championship in Kitchener, Ontario. By this point, she was 18 years old. A competitive hockey player for seven years, a good chunk of that on Team Canada. And yet, this was the very first game she'd ever played in front of a packed arena. 8,000 screaming hockey fans. It was a little triggering for Wickenheiser at first. It took a minute for her to accept that this time, the faces pressed up against the glass were fans. These were people that wanted her to succeed. After nearly a decade dodging the abuse of angry parents, she had to recalibrate her nervous system. In the first round of the tournament, Canada beat Switzerland 6-0. Next, they beat Russia 9-1. Then they clinched a victory against China with a 7-1 final score, taking Team Canada to the semi-finals against Finland, whom they beat 2-1. And that's when they entered the championship game against their biggest rival, Team USA. In the first period, Team Canada scored their first goal. By the second, Canada scored another goal, but gave up two to Team USA. Then in the third, both teams scored again, bringing the score to an even 3-3, meaning they would enter a sudden death overtime. The rivalry between Canada and the US was as old as hockey itself, and Team Canada did not want to lose on their own turf. This was their last major tournament before the Olympics, a moment to establish themselves as the unbeatable powerhouse of the North. Wickenheiser got the puck, she passed it to her teammate, and Team Canada scored the championship-winning goal. 4-3. Wickenheiser with the assist, solidifying her status as the leading scorer of the tournament, with nine points to her name. It was a high and Wickenheiser rode it straight to the Olympic team tryouts. In the fall of 1997, the Canadian women's Olympic hockey team held its first ever tryouts in Calgary. 28 players from across the country were invited to partake in a grueling six-month training camp to compete for a spot on the team including one Haley Wickenheiser. Over those six months, Wickenheiser says they bunked together, weight trained together, ran together, skated together, hiked under weighted backpacks together, dragon boat raced together, and practiced daily. She said that tryout was make or break. If you could survive boot camp, you could survive anything the games threw at you. 20 players were selected, and Wickenheiser was one of them she was going to represent Canada at the Olympic Games. Heading into the Olympics, two things were capital T true. One, Canada was considered unbeatable. They'd won all four women's world hockey championships over the previous seven years. The assumption, nay, the expectation, was that they brought home the gold. And two, Under no circumstances could they lose to the U.S. 
Wickenheiser was feeling confident. She'd survived the boot camp, led the national team in scoring, clinched championship-winning goals, been named MVP on more than one occasion, and her trophy case was brimming with shiny gold medallions. The rejection from her midget AAA coach was long in her rearview mirror, but she relished in the fact that the next time that coach would see her would be on television wearing red and white. And in February of 1998, Team Canada filed onto a plane headed for Nagano, Japan. Team Canada won the first four games in the round robin by a margin of 24 to 5. Then they were up against Team USA. The press called the match meaningless for both the U.S. and Canada because both teams had already qualified for the final. But Wickenheiser says that language spoke directly to how little the world understood the stakes of women's hockey. Every single game was meaningful because they had so few opportunities to play. Wickenheiser had fought her way onto that ice. She'd been bullied, harassed, targeted. And now that she'd made it to the Olympic team... This was it. There was no Stanley Cup in her future, no multi-million dollar endorsement deals, no all-star game, no award shows. The round-robin game against the U.S. may not have impacted their chances at making the finals, but it was one more chance to play, and one more chance to prove Canada's domination over the sport. But Team Canada lost that round-robin game. 7-4. to four the U.S. scoring six consecutive goals in the last half. Wickenheiser said Team Canada walked off the ice that day, humiliated and rattled. The unexpected loss against the Americans completely threw Team Canada. Three days ahead of the finals, it was their first loss against their rivals. And Wickenheiser, who landed in Nagano with unwavering confidence, felt her nerves start to set in. She says in her book that suddenly the team began questioning their decisions. Doubt started flooding in. Sequestered in their Olympic bubble, totally disconnected from the outside world, they had no choice but to stress and overthink. Little girls in their little towns were looking to them to win, to put on a show so spectacular hockey fans and sports writers alike would turn their heads away from the men's games. Suddenly, the rink was a fishbowl, and Wickenheiser started noticing cracks. The first ever women's gold medal hockey game began in a packed stadium, and the first period closed nil-nil. As they started the second, Wickenheiser says their nerves and desperation were palpable. They weren't playing strong, they were playing scared. With less than a minute left in the second period, the U.S. clinched a power play. And with only six seconds remaining, the Americans scored 1-0. In the third period, the U.S. scored a second goal, 2-0. With four minutes left in the game, Canada scored 2-1. And Wickenheiser says it breathed new life into the team. Team Canada pulled their goalie to add an extra attacker onto the ice. One more goal. They only needed one more goal to tie the game and skate into overtime. 
20 seconds left on the clock. 15, 10, and with eight seconds remaining, Team USA scored into an empty net. Three to one, Canada lost. Wickenheiser says in that moment, women's hockey came into its own. But for her, it was devastating. As the officials hung the silver medal around her neck and O Canada blared across the stadium, all she could do was bite her lip to keep from crying. She only had one thought, that she was a complete failure, that she let down the country, that she let down little girls in their corduroy easy chairs. The men's team didn't even place. Team Canada flew back to their home and native land with no gold medals for the birthplace of hockey. But Wickenheiser didn't want to see her friends or family upon return. She was humiliated. She couldn't sleep. The shame she felt was all-consuming. She didn't leave the house. She said she never wanted to feel this way again, ever. So she tucked her silver medal into a drawer, and she made a plan. In our next episode... The results of the 1998 Canadian Olympic Hockey Games are brought to Parliament. Pro teams come calling, then name-calling, then calling again. And Wickenheiser takes a shot at spinning her rejections into gold. Join us next time for Rejecting Haley Wickenheiser, Part 2. The Rejection Podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in our Airstream mobile recording studio. This series is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Research, Allison Pinches. Our director is Callie O'Reilly. Engineer, Jeff Devine. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. We regret to inform you, our theme music is by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. Tunes provided by APM Music. The major source for this episode is Over the Boards, Lessons from the Ice by Haley Wickenheiser. All other sources are listed in the show notes on our website, apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like Rejecting Muggsy Bogues from Season 2. Bogues is a record-breaking basketball player with a 14-year NBA career. He's among the most beloved players of all time. Oh, and he's also five foot three. As you can surely imagine, the smallest NBA player of all time faced big rejection. Follow our network on social at Apostrophe Pod. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. See you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. I'm being completely honest now, okay? Homelessness makes me uncomfortable. But then I think, at least it's not sleeping on the sidewalk with everything I own uncomfortable. Don't let homelessness assumptions get in the way of homelessness solutions. Go to CanadaCanDoIt.ca. Help the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness.